Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about sleeping problems and natural sleep aids. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen into our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice, so don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steven Nett as a patient at his office. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Ron. We're almost there. It's almost Christmas. Now, this is going to air right after Christmas, so hopefully everybody had a wonderful holiday and ate some nice food, healthy food, and not healthy food. And we're going to talk about the whole topic of sleep today. We may not get into naps, or we may, but we want to get into what people need to know about sleep. And let's just start off with some basic information like how much sleep does a human body really need and does the amount of sleep needed change with somebody's age? Well, those are great questions and there are quite a few references out there with various opinions. So I thought I would research this a little and find the best one that's based on scientific studies. Good idea. All right. Well, I came across the National Sleep Foundation website and they published a paper in the Sleep Health Journal in March of 2015 which had 18 leading scientists and researchers perform a rigorous scientific process that included them reviewing over 300 current scientific publications and then voting on how much sleep is appropriate throughout people's lifespans. And what they found is that it's impossible to pinpoint the exact amount of sleep needed by people at different ages, but there are agreed upon recommended ranges from minimum to maximum hours of sleep needed. They came up with a chart that we can include in our podcast notes that shows the various age groups and three categories of sleep duration for each, which are recommended hours of sleep, what may be appropriate for some individuals, which is essentially slightly less or slightly more than the recommended hour ranges, and what is not recommended. Yeah, I think that would be helpful because people probably don't really know what the correct amount of sleep is that they should be getting. And they might think they're getting too much or not enough when that might not be correct. Exactly. So there's actually nine age categories, starting with newborns, which is zero to three months, then infants, four to 11 months, all the way up to ending with adults ages 26 to 64 and older adults ages 65 and above. In general, the amount of hours recommended for each age group decreases with age. And you can refer to this reference to get the number of hours recommended or potentially appropriate for each age group. But since the majority of people listening to this podcast are from young adults up through older adults, I thought I would share those now. Okay. 
All right. So younger adults is ages 18 to 25, and the recommended sleep range is seven to nine hours. Okay. Uh, the, the potentially appropriate range is from six to 11 hours. So that means anything under six and over 11 hours is not recommended. All right. All right. Let's move up to adults ages 26 to 64. The recommended sleep range is also seven to nine hours. Uh, the potentially appropriate range is six to 10 hours. So anything under six and over 10 hours is not recommended. Okay. And in older adults, 65 and above, uh, the recommended sleep range is seven to eight hours with the potentially appropriate range being five to nine hours. So anything under five and over nine hours is not recommended for them. All right. So there's slight shifts in those. Mm -hmm. Now that we know what are the best amounts of sleep or the recommended amounts of sleep for people at different ages, let's talk about what sleep is and what goes on during sleep. So when your body is asleep, what is going on physiologically and why does your body need to have that period of time for sleep? All right. Well, I'll start with the second part of that question, why the body needs sleep. You know, our bodies need enough quality sleep so that we wake up feeling refreshed and alert for our daily activities. And the better sleep we get, the better we look, feel, and perform on a daily basis, which improves our overall quality of life. If our sleep is cut short and we don't complete the four stages of sleep, then we tend to wake up less prepared to concentrate, make decisions, or engage fully in school, work, or social activities because our body and mind isn't fully rejuvenated. Okay. So let's now look at what happens physiologically during the four stages of sleep. Uh, when we begin to fall asleep, we enter what's called NREM or non-rapid eye movement sleep which is composed of three parts or stages, and that, that takes up about 75% of the night. Okay. The first stage occurs between being awake and falling asleep and is considered light sleep. The second stage occurs at the onset of sleep and includes becoming disengaged from your surroundings, regular breathing and heart rate, and dropping body temperature. So sleeping in a cool room is actually helpful. And then the third and final stage of NREM sleep is the deepest and most restorative sleep and includes dropping of your blood pressure, slower breathing, relaxed muscles, increased blood supply to your muscles, tissue growth and repair occurring, which is really important. Yeah. Your restoration of energy and the release of hormones, including growth hormone, which is essential for growth and development, including muscle development. And for weight loss. That's true. Now, the other stage of sleep is called REM, or rapid eye movement. That's the band REM, I guess, named. I know. I, yeah. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Now, this makes up the other 25%, and it first occurs about 90 minutes after falling asleep and recurs about every 90 minutes, getting longer later in the night. So here's what happens during this stage. It provides energy to the brain and body. Uh, it supports daytime performance. During this time, the brain is active and dreams or nightmares can occur. The eyes dart back and forth, and that's why it's called rapid eye movement. And the body becomes immobile and relaxed as the muscles are turned off. I wanted to go over some additional things which occur physiologically during sleep, and that includes levels of the hormone cortisol dipping at bedtime and then increasing over the night to promote alertness in the morning. 
Sleep also helps our immune system. Not only are healthy immune cells produced, but the immune response is significantly improved with more restful sleep. Okay. And metabolism and appetite are also influenced positively by healthy sleep. Levels of the hormones ghrelin, G-H-R-E-L-I-N, and leptin, L-E-P-T-I-N, not lectin with a C, it's leptin with a P. Right. Uh, these are regulated by sleep, and they play a role in our feelings of hunger and fullness. So when we're sleep-deprived, we may feel the need to eat more, which can lead to weight gain. Mm. You had talked about that, I believe it was in the weight loss episode when you were talking about the need to get enough sleep. That's right. Now, you mentioned hormones. So what does the balance of hormones have to do with getting adequate sleep? You talked about a little bit of it, but I know I've read before that there is some balance of hormones that will affect sleep either positively or negatively. That's true. So, you know, we just looked at some of the hormones that are influenced by sleep. So let's look at the hormones that can affect sleep. I just brought up the fact that cortisol levels typically drop at bedtime and then increase over the course of the night to promote alertness in the morning. Well, cortisol is a stress hormone produced by the adrenals in response to chronic stress. In some people, it can stay elevated throughout the day as well as at bedtime. I actually had my cortisol levels tested via saliva test a number of years ago in which I sent in four samples taken at four different times of the day, including midnight. At that time, I was experiencing difficulty falling asleep, and it turns out my cortisol level at midnight was higher than normal. As a result, I started taking a supplement at bedtime designed to lower high cortisol levels, and all of my follow-up cortisol tests have been normal since then for my midnight level. Mm -hmm. I'll talk about that supplement in a little bit when we cover non-drug sleep aid remedies. Okay. All right. When women reach pre or perimenopause, they can have their sleep interrupted, especially due to hot sweats because of the imbalance of the hormones estrogen and progesterone. Right. And as men age, their levels of testosterone gradually decrease as early as age 30 but more so after age 40, and it becomes much more noticeable after age 50. Lower testosterone levels are associated with sleep problems. Okay. And another hormone that we produce less of as we age is melatonin, which regulates our sleep and wake cycles. Also, insulin, which is produced by the pancreas to control blood sugar levels, can also impact sleep. It's not a good idea to eat sugary snacks before bedtime because that will raise your insulin levels, making it more difficult to sleep, plus the fact that when you inevitably experience the sugar crash, it can sometimes shift you out of deep sleep and into a lighter sleep phase where you're more prone to sleep disturbances. All right. And finally, thyroid hormone balance is also very important when it comes to sleep. Now, when your thyroid is overactive, it's called hyperthyroidism. And your nervous system can be overstimulated, making you feel restless, and this can make it difficulty getting to sleep or staying asleep. And now when your thyroid is underactive, this is also known as hypothyroidism, your risk of various sleep disorders increases, including sleep apnea. Uh, approximately 30% of people with hypothyroidism suffer from sleep apnea, which is a potentially serious sleep disorder in which breathing repeatedly stops and starts. I mean, this is serious enough that most people diagnosed with this are recommended to use a breathing assistance device at night, such as a CPAP machine, which stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure. Oh, okay. 
Now I know what that stands for. I didn't before. Okay. Now, one of the terms that most people have heard having to do with sleep and sleep disorders is insomnia. Now, what actually is insomnia? Insomnia is a sleep disorder, which may include difficulty falling asleep and or waking up often during the night and having trouble falling back asleep. So there's two different types of insomnia. Are those the main two types of insomnia or are there others besides those two? Well, there's actually two ways of classifying insomnia. The first is based more on the source and its two types are what's called primary insomnia, which means that a person is having sleep problems that aren't directly associated with any other health condition or problem. And secondary insomnia means that a person is having sleep problems because of something else. And I'll list some of these in a little bit when we go over the known causes of insomnia. Okay. Now, the other way to classify insomnia is based on time, how long it lasts, and how often it occurs. The two types here are acute insomnia, which is short-term, usually lasting from one night to a few weeks, and chronic insomnia, which is when a person has insomnia at least three nights a week for a month or longer. All right. So now that we know the different types, what are the known causes, at least, of insomnia? Well, we've already covered the fact that it can be due to hormonal imbalances. Right. So that's established. I'd also like to bring up the fact that caffeine and nicotine, which are stimulants, can be troublesome. You know, smoking or drinking coffee before bedtime could keep you from falling asleep. Plus, alcohol can interrupt sleep for a number of reasons, including sweating and having to get up to go to the bathroom since it's also a diuretic. Right. Uh, caffeine also happens to be a diuretic, so that's another reason not to drink coffee or lots of water before bedtime. There's actually quite a few prescription medications that can cause insomnia. So I, I'd like to go through these. Okay. They include blood pressure medications like alpha and beta blockers, ACE inhibitors, and angiotensin II receptor blockers. Medications for Parkinson's disease, psychostimulants and amphetamines, steroids, believe it or not, cold medicines and decongestants. Wow. Yeah anti-seizure drugs, and the antidepressants called SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which include Prozac, Paxil, and Zoloft. Okay. In addition, illegal street drugs are also notorious for causing insomnia. Oh, yeah. Well, cocaine and Heroin. speed and things like that. Yeah. Uh, various pain syndromes and arthritis can also cause insomnia. Of course, acid reflux, especially due to a hiatal hernia, which is made worse by lying flat on your back at night, can definitely cause insomnia too. Right. And this is interesting. Um, significant life stress, such as a job loss or change, the death of a loved one, a divorce, or moving. Anxiety and worry can cause a person to lie in bed all night thinking about things endlessly. And environmental factors like noise, light, or extreme temperatures, hot or cold, can also interfere with sleep. That's correct. Yeah. And then finally, interferences in your sleep schedule, such as jet lag or switching from a day to a night shift, can cause sleep disturbances too. Okay. Yeah. And there's also a whole aspect of the thing, which I can't remember whether we covered it earlier. We might have having to do with the light at nighttime. Like if you have an iPhone or an iPad or a Kindle, 
they have settings on the Apple devices that you can change to a night mode where it removes the bluish light that emanates from the device. That's and it's right. More yellowish light. Yep. We did cover All right. that. Yeah, cool. What does the medical profession recommend for people having trouble sleeping? Well, they recommend non-drug sleep aid recommendations and sleep aid medications. So let's go through the non-drug things first. Okay. So I got these from webmd.com and they actually recommend good sleep habits, also called sleep hygiene, to help you get a good night's sleep and beat insomnia. So here's some of them. Uh, what they recommend is you should try to go to sleep at the same time each night and get up at the same time each morning. Also, try not to take naps during the day because naps may make you less sleepy at night or throw off your sleep pattern. Okay. Avoid prolonged use of phones or reading devices like ebooks that give off light before bed uh, because this can make it harder to fall asleep. And I'd also like to add that these, along with computers, give off the blue light that which you referenced earlier, which can actually decrease melatonin levels in the body. So if you don't, I mean, if you do use them at night, it's a good idea to use eyewear that filters out blue light or just decrease or turn off the blue light altogether from these devices. Correct. Obviously avoid caffeine, nicotine, and alcohol late in the day. We already went over this uh, earlier. Right. Get regular exercise but try not to exercise close to bedtime because it may stimulate you and make it harder to fall asleep. Right. So experts suggest not exercising for at least three to four hours before you go to sleep at night. Okay. Uh, don't eat a heavy meal late in the day. Uh, a light snack before bedtime, however, may help you sleep. I would also like to add that it should contain protein and very little to no sugar so that your blood sugar levels don't spike or fluctuate, which can definitely cause sleep problems. Also, make your bedroom comfortable. Be sure it's dark, quiet, and not too warm or too cold. If light is a problem, try a sleeping mask. And if noise is a problem, try earplugs, a fan, or a white noise machine to cover up the sounds. And they also recommend to follow a routine to help you relax before sleep. So do something like read a book, listen to music, or take a bath. If you can't fall asleep and don't feel drowsy, then you should get up and read or do something that's not overly stimulating until you feel sleepy, uh, like you know, maybe just going for a short walk. And if you find yourself lying awake worrying about things, try making a to-do list before you go to bed, which may help you to not focus on those worries overnight. All right. Well, those are pretty decent suggestions. I've actually found that sometimes I have my attention on so many things and I'm trying to think about what I need to remember to do. And I've had times where I'll just grab a piece of paper and write all that stuff down. And then I'm not thinking about it, trying to remember it. And that helps. Perfect. All right, let's go over the sleep aid medications now. There's actually quite a few. Okay. All right, so let's start with Zolpidem, also known as Ambien, Edluar, and Intermezzo. This is used to help people get to sleep, and it also includes an extended release version called Ambien CR, which may help you go to sleep and stay asleep longer. Another popular sleep med is Ezopiclone, also known as Lunesta. This helps you fall asleep quickly, and studies show people taking this sleep an average of seven to eight hours. And they see butterflies like they show in the commercial or something <laughs> exactly. like that. Uh, the sleep med... 
Rameltion, also known as Rosarem, works differently than other medications because it targets the sleep-wake cycle instead of depressing the central nervous system. It's specifically prescribed for people who have difficulty falling asleep. And then there's Zaloplon, also known as Sonata. This stays active in the body for the shortest amount of time, which means that you can try to fall asleep on your own, but if you're still staring at the clock at 2 a.m., then you can take it to get you to sleep without feeling drowsy in the morning. Now, the drug doxepine, also known as Silinor, is recommended for people who have trouble staying asleep. It acts as an antihistamine, which may help with sleep maintenance. And an older class of medications called benzodiazepines are also used for insomnia, and they include Halcyon and Restoril. These are used especially if you want a sleep medication to stay in your system longer to handle such sleep problems as sleepwalking and night terrors. Okay. Some antidepressants, including trazodone, also known as Desirel, are prescribed off-label to treat sleeplessness as well as anxiety. And most of the over-the-counter sleep medications are sedating antihistamines, and they include Benadryl, NyQuil, and Aleve PM. Okay. So that's the list of them. Now, the list they gave of some of the suggestions that were non-drug ways of helping you sleep better, those were pretty decent. And now we've got the drugs. So what kind of problems can people experience when they're using sleep medications? In general, there are some major issues and side effects from taking sleep medications, enough so that the FDA has issued warnings about them. In 2007, the FDA issued warnings for prescription sleep drugs, alerting patients that they can cause rare allergic reactions and complex sleep-related behaviors, including sleep driving. And then in 2013, the FDA also warned people that taking sleep medications at night can impair their ability to drive or be fully alert, even the next day. Wow. Mm -hmm. Now, let's briefly look at some of the specific sleep medications we went over earlier and their most common issues and side effects. Okay. The extended release formula Ambien CR has been given a warning label by the FDA, and that's been because it, says, it stays in the body a long time, uh, you shouldn't drive or perform any activities that require you to be alert the day after taking it. Mm -hmm. Another thing about all forms of Ambien is that you shouldn't take them unless you're able to get a full night's sleep, at least seven to eight hours. Okay. Uh, now, don't take Lanesta unless you're able to also get a full night's sleep because it could cause grogginess. The FDA recommends that the starting dose of Lunesta is no more than one milligram because of the risk of impairment the next day. All right. Uh, benzodiazepines have some of the most serious side effects. They can cause you to feel sleepy during the day and can also cause dependence, which means that you may always need to be on them in order to be able to sleep. If you've taken these drugs for a while and suddenly stopped taking them, the withdrawal symptoms are quite vicious and include seizures, tremors, muscle cramping, vomiting, and sweating. By the way, one benzodiazepine that I didn't mention earlier, but it has been used uh, for insomnia amongst other conditions is diazepam, also known as Valium. Mm. And its list of side effects could take up an entire episode, so I'm not going to go into that. Exactly. Now, the antidepressants, uh, including trazodone, also known as Desiril, also have a long list of side effects. Trazodone is not recommended by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine because its potential risks and harms outweigh the benefits. 
And they base this on research that suggests the time it takes to fall asleep is only reduced by an average of 10 minutes with the use of trazodone compared to placebo. Also, the amount of time spent awake at night is only reduced by eight minutes on average with trazodone. And then there's these horrible side effects, which probably like most antidepressants include suicidal thoughts and taking shotguns into classrooms or something like that. So yeah, you, you sleep eight more minutes, but you're going to kill your neighbor and you're going to hang yourself. <laughs> That's really great. Oh yeah. Yeah. And finally, the over-the-counter sleeping pills, which are primarily antihistamines, have no proof that they work well for insomnia, and they can also cause some drowsiness during the next day. All right. Well, none of those sound that great. So let's look at some non-drug sleep aid remedies. Are there any out there that are effective at all? Yeah, let's start with CalMag. Uh, this is a mixture of calcium, magnesium, and apple cider vinegar, and it's been used by many for a long time to help people relax before going to bed. And then uh, let's look at melatonin. Again, this is a natural hormone, which is actually produced by the pineal gland in the brain. It can be taken as a natural supplement right at bedtime as a pill, sublingual lozenge, or a liquid. And you can take as much as five milligrams, but I would recommend starting at one milligram or no more than 2.5 to three milligrams. Yeah, I've used that very successfully. And I have some friends who would comment to me about having difficulty sleeping. And I have two of them now that started trying it, and they found it really helps a lot. Yeah, I use it, and I, I use the 2.5 milligram sublingual lozenge. I like that. All right, let's talk about 5-HTP and L-tryptophan. Okay. L-tryptophan is an amino acid that is especially found in meats, including turkey. It's thought that some people get tired after eating a big turkey dinner on Thanksgiving because of L-tryptophan. But believe it or not, turkey contains only modest amounts of L-tryptophan. The more likely reason that people fall asleep shortly after Thanksgiving dinner is because of the enormous amounts of carbohydrates consumed, including stuffing, potatoes, cranberry sauce, and pumpkin pie. Exactly. See? Now, L-tryptophan is not only needed by your body to produce 5-HTP, but also the brain neurotransmitter chemical serotonin and the sleep-regulating hormone that we just went over, melatonin. Right. Um, however, 5-HTP is actually a better supplement to take than L-tryptophan because it crosses the blood-brain barrier at a higher rate. It's converted into serotonin more efficiently than L-tryptophan, and it has a more pronounced antidepressant effect. That's good to know. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. All right, let's also look at valerian root. This is an herb that's used to promote relaxation and sleep, and studies show that it can reduce anxiety while improving sleep quality and quantity. Mm -hmm. Most studies show that taking valerian can reduce the amount of time it takes to fall asleep by about 15 to 20 minutes, which is better than some of the drugs that we talked about. That's earlier. more than twice, yeah. Yeah. It works best when taken up to two hours before bedtime at doses of 400 to 900 milligrams. Okay. And you may need to use it for several days, even up to four weeks before an effect is noticeable. Oh, that's interesting. Is it because it has to build up in the system? Probably. Okay. Yeah. There are also some studies that show that valerian can help improve sleep when combined with other herbs, including hops and lemon balm. 
Now that's not hops from beer. Okay. It's they, they do use hops to make beer, but it's in, in the herb form, not in the beer. Right. Form. <laughs> okay. Um, research also shows that taking 675 to 1,060 milligrams of valerian root daily for eight weeks can reduce the severity and frequency of hot flashes in postmenopausal women. Hmm. So this can also help their sleep, especially if the hot flashes are occurring during the night. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that would be a, a welcome change for some of the women that are going through that. Absolutely. All right, and finally, let's look at Z12. This is another helpful sleep remedy, which I've been taking now for over seven years. It contains 5-HTP, along with the amino acid L-theanine, along with what's called phenobut, which is a specialized form of the brain chemical or neurotransmitter called GABA, which has a calming and a relaxing effect on the nervous system. Uh, This is a supplement that I was referring to earlier that I started taking due to my high cortisol levels and has kept them normal ever since. Wow. Yeah, this supplement's actually been around since the 1960s and it has a long track record of safety and efficiency. It was discovered and put into clinical practice in Russia in the 1960s and it's mandated as standard equipment in every Russian cosmonaut's medical kit. Uh, The reason it's recommended over plain GABA is because it can easily cross the blood-brain barrier, unlike plain unaltered GABA supplements. Now, the biggest problem with Phenobut, though, is that it's been known to cause withdrawal symptoms in people who have used it for long periods of time. Now, I haven't noticed that, and I haven't noticed any other uncomfortable side effects also. Uh, In general, it's recommended that you use it for three days on and then three days off, or two weeks on and two weeks off to prevent dependence and withdrawals. All right. Good. So those are some good possible alternatives for people who don't want to be taking drugs. So that's more of an internal way of dealing with this. Now let's look at some of the external factors, like the beds that people sleep on and the pillows that they use. Do those have any effect on a person's sleep? Absolutely. I mean, they can make or break a good night's sleep as well as determine how you feel when you wake up. Okay. Uh, This is something you should definitely not skimp on and really take seriously. Okay. So then what are the beds and pillows that have been found to most assist in getting an adequate amount of restful sleep? All right. Well, before we get started on these, I just want to say that I'm not a big fan of thick memory foam mattresses. Okay. And the reason for this is because they create a crater effect, making it difficult to turn at night. A thin memory foam topping is fine since it gives you just enough of the support you need without restricting movement. Mm -hmm. Now, I am a big fan of firm and adjustable mattresses. The firmer, the better. Uh, The nice thing about adjustable firmness mattresses is that you can set them to your ideal comfort firmness. Metal box spring mattresses are not adjustable and break down over time. Right. So the two brands of adjustable mattresses that I recommend are air mattresses, and they are the iSleep mattress and the Sleep Number mattress. Mm-hmm. I've personally used the iSleep airbed mattress now for almost 20 years. It features two individual air chambers, one on each side of the bed with individual controls so that sleep partners can adjust the firmness on their side of the bed to any level. Right. They also include soft inner coils that respond to your body's weight and natural curves to gently support you and ensure a near-perfect sleep posture no matter what firmness you choose. 
this setup also includes just the right amount of memory foam to cradle your body without restricting your normal nighttime movement. Okay. And this mattress also includes a neat option for each side of the bed, which is individually controlled heating pads, which are warmer at your feet and cooler at your head. Mm, okay. And they're endorsed by the National Institute of Chiropractic Research and the American Sleep Research Institute. All right. So, yeah, they can be found at isleep.com, the letter isleep.com. Okay. Now, the Sleep Number mattress has even more advanced technology than the iSleep mattress. They also have dual air chambers with individual controls with all their mattresses, and they also have the option of having memory foam with the mattress. Uh, The advanced options that they offer include adjustable frames, just like a craftmatic bed in which you can elevate the head as well as the feet. And another really cool feature is that they have smart bed technology. This uses responsive air technology to sense your movements, which then automatically adjusts firmness, comfort, and support to keep you sleeping in your ideal position and firmness all night long. And they even have an app for your phone that works similar to a Fitbit since it hooks up with the mattress to determine how well you sleep at night. Wow. Yeah, this is called Sleep IQ, and this allows you to see the next day how the bed is adjusting to your individual comfort plus all the positive effects it has on your sleep quality. You know, we happen to have a Sleep Number mattress store at Countryside Mall here in Clearwater, so you don't have to go very far to check out their excellent products. That's true, and I've had one of those for probably 20 years myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, my favorite pillows are firm pillows that support your neck regardless of body position. You know, there's so many pillows that I've tried over the years from air pillows to wedge pillows to water-filled pillows to egg carton to cotton and down pillows to memory foam pillows, and I always go back to the one I started using back in 1990, and that's the decor pillow. The reason it's called a D pillow is because if you look at the center of it, it has a divot in the middle, the shape of a D. And it's designed for both back and side sleeping. So when you sleep on your back, you simply rest your head in the center, which cradles your neck and supports your head. Okay. And when you sleep on your side, you move away from the center to the flat surface on either end. Uh, It's the perfect height and firmness to keep your neck straight while lying on your side. Uh, Most pillows are too thin or soft, and what happens is that your head tilts sideways toward the bed, which compresses everything on that side, including your discs. Another nice feature about this pillow is that it's hypoallergenic and washable. This is why I'm not a fan of the memory foam pillow, because it's not washable. It emits fumes, which can cause allergies. It gets hot at night, and it can break down and crumble over time. Okay. Well, that's very helpful. So people should consider all the various different factors, the things that the medical profession recommends, you know, what you should and shouldn't need at what times of the day when you should exercise, that you should exercise, all those different factors, as well as nutritionally what you should be doing and not doing, the types of sleep aids that you can get that are natural, and also the types of beds and pillows that'll actually be assisting you in sleeping better. So those are all good ideas. Those are all good suggestions. Now, is there anything else you'd like to say on this topic before we end? I can't think of anything else that we need to cover on this topic. Can you? Not particularly. All right. So 
So that's good. That's very helpful because I know a lot of people have had problems at different times in their life with sleeping and they can refer to this episode and find one or two or several things that they can try out or that may be helpful to them. So next week is going to be the first episode of 2019. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a series of episodes on various vitamins. We're going to start the first one off with the fat-soluble vitamins, vitamins A and E. There might be other fat-soluble ones, but those are like the two key ones. So we're going to do that in the first episode. Then we're going to get into the B-complex vitamins and so on. And after we've gone through all the vitamins, we're going to do an episode on the seven principles of fat burning. Because, of course, by that time, everybody's going to be going, oh, my God, I can't believe how much weight I put on. And they're going to be looking for solutions. And they can go back and listen to the one we did on weight loss earlier. And the plant paradox. The plant paradox is also a very good one to listen to to get your diet back in shape after the holidays. And then we're going to go over another one, which is Dr. Eric Berg's The Seven Principles of Fat Burning, which is also very good information because there is no one size fits all on anything. And this will give people different options on things that they can do with their diet that can help them control their weight and help them feel better. So that will be our our sequence of episodes starting in the new year. And we've got some other interesting ones coming up after that. So let's wish everybody a happy New Year's. And happy holidays. And we'll see you next year. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week.